This faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by One Ascent. God has created every single person and every square inch with immeasurable dignity. And every day, businesses impact these people and places in powerful ways, either causing them harm or helping them flourish. Our trusted sponsor, One Ascent, exists to help investors consider who a business impacts and how they're impacted. More than likely, your values inspire why you invest, whether it's to provide for your family, put your kids through college, or prepare for the next stage of life. One Ascent believes your values can also inspire how you invest by directing your investment capital into companies that positively impact the world. Whether you invest on your own or work with an advisor, One Ascent's comprehensive values-aligned solutions seek to help you do well by doing good. To explore a new way of investing that aligns with your values, visit oneascent.com. Click on Analyze My Investments on the homepage to tailor your portfolio to what truly matters to you. A new instant payment platform announced by the Federal Reserve Bank has a lot of folks thinking it's the dawn of a digital dollar. Hi, I'm Rob West. It's called FedNow, and it will allow businesses and even individuals of participating banks to send and receive instant payments 24-7. But is it the camel's nose in the tent for a digital dollar? I'll talk about it today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial future. Okay, before we get into this discussion of digital currency, I think it's important to remember Proverbs fifteen fourteen. It reads, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. My point is, let's not panic about a digital currency that isn't here yet and would have to meet with approval by what is now an often hopelessly divided Congress. The Constitution gives Congress sole power over the currency of the United States. The Federal Reserve has no authority to create currency, digital or otherwise, on its own. Now, what exactly would a digital dollar look like? Obviously, it would be an electronic form of the U.S. dollar. It would be fiat money, as is the current dollar, meaning it's not backed by gold or silver. It would be similar to cryptocurrencies, but with one big difference. It would be regulated and backed by the Federal Reserve. And that's the major concern of many opponents of a digital currency. It would potentially give the Fed unprecedented power over our financial system. Theoretically, all transactions could be monitored unless strict limits are placed on the Fed's ability to snoop and share that information with other agencies. Also, again in theory, the Fed could use this power to actually shape society by allowing or restricting certain transactions. So fears of a digital currency are not without some foundation. However, since other countries are moving ahead with digital currencies, some at a rapid pace, it's likely that the U.S. will have a digital dollar someday. When that might happen is anyone's guess, and it could be years away. You can expect a lot of debate in the House and the Senate before a digital currency is ever approved by those bodies. And you'll have a say in it, too, by contacting your elected representatives and ultimately in the voting booth. So again, let's not panic. 
Now, it's true that last year the Biden administration charged executive agencies to explore the process of implementing a digital currency, and the Fed is cooperating in that effort. But the central bank is also warning that there are risks with a digital dollar that could leave customers vulnerable to theft and fraud. Specifically, policymakers and the Fed have listed several requirements for a digital dollar that won't be easy to meet. It must provide benefits to U.S. households, businesses, and the overall economy that exceed its costs and risks. It must also yield those benefits more effectively than our current currency. It should complement, not replace, other forms of money. And it must protect consumer privacy and prevent criminal activity. So at least at this point, the Fed is not exactly a cheerleader for a digital dollar. That should be welcoming news to people who fear the Fed is conspiring to take away their privacy and freedom, but it hasn't stopped opponents of digital currency from calling the FedNow platform the camel's nose in the tent, which means once the nose is in, the whole camel is going to be in there soon. Concerns about FedNow, set to launch in July, have spread like wildfire on social media. One example is a tweet by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is a presidential candidate for 2024. He claimed that FedNow itself is a central bank digital currency that will allow the Fed to monitor and restrict people's financial transactions. Kennedy wrote, quoting now, The Fed just announced it will introduce its Fed now central bank digital currency in July. CBDCs grease the slippery slope to financial slavery and political tyranny, unquote. Another Instagram poster wrote, quote, better get your money out of banks. CBDC has started, meaning you will wake up one morning and all your U.S. paper dollars will be converted into U.S. digital dollars, end quote. Of course, the Fed flatly denies this. Testifying before Congress this month, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said, quoting again, we'll have real-time payments in this country very, very soon, unquote. But he also told lawmakers the Fed is nowhere close to having a digital dollar. So those are the facts about Fed now and a future digital dollar as we have them today. We hope they clear up some of your questions. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, back with much more just around the corner. We're grateful for support from Guidestone, whose diversified suite of investment solutions align with Christian values to create positive change in the world. More information is available at GuidestoneFunds.com. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of Guidestone Funds before investing. They're distributed by Foresight Funds Distributors, LLC, which is not an advisory affiliate, a registered investment advisor, nor do they provide investment advice. God has entrusted his finances to you, and we at FaithFi have designed our FaithFi app to help you live, give, owe, and grow with that perspective. Our FaithFi app is the leading biblically-based finance app. You can manage your money, get top biblical financial resources, and interact with a community of like-minded believers, where you can ask questions, get answers, and share what you're learning. Go to faithfi.com and click the word app to get started. 
Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today on anything financial. The number to call is 800-525-7000. We've got a few lines open. We'd love to hear from you. 800-525-7000. If you have a testimony today, maybe you'd like to share how God's been at work in your financial life, we'd love to hear that as well. 800-525-7000 with a few lines open. We're going to begin today in Ohio, Kim. You can go right ahead. How can I help? Hi. Um, I have a TSP fund, and I want to retire in about, about four and a half years. And the lady that I talked to from one of the government surveys said I should put my money into an annuity. But she said I won't lose any money when the stocks crash and anything. But I just have not such a good feeling about it. What are your thoughts about annuities? Yeah, it's a good question, Kim. And a lot of folks uh, ask that question when they're entering this season of life. And what I will say is that annuities are typically sold and not bought, meaning most folks don't go out looking for them. There's somebody who's talking them into buying an annuity. It's not my favorite tool. I'm not a huge fan, primarily because there's high commissions and fees. There's surrender charges if you want to get your capital back, and so you lose access to your money. Uh, There's tax penalties if you withdraw the money. And to your point, yes, there can be some downside protection on the investments, but you have to give up upside to get it. So what that means is if the market's up X percent, you're not going to get that full upside. And in exchange for that, they're going to give you downside protection to make sure you don't lose any money, which sounds good. The problem is that, you know, when we look at stock market performance in any season of life, as long as we have a long time horizon, it's those, you know, dramatically up markets that really, um, you know, allow the compounding to work as effectively as it can. And so when we take that away, it just minimizes the overall return. So in my view, a better strategy is to leave that money in the TSP when you retire or separate from government service, you'd roll that out to an IRA, an individual retirement account. That's not a taxable event. You would leave it there, let it continue to be invested. And then the key would just be to change the investment mix over time so that, uh, you know, as you get closer and closer to retirement, you're reducing your allocation to stocks, you're increasing your allocation to bonds. That's going to make the account less volatile. But keep in mind, you're always going to want some stock allocation because even once you get to retirement, you still have a decades-long need for that money to last. And so, you know, the the way you keep access to it and and grow it is to keep it invested. But, uh, you know, I would say after you build up a pretty significant nest egg, you'd probably want an advisor making those decisions for you. But again, I wouldn't do that inside an insurance product. I do that either inside the TSP or the IRA. Uh, How much have you been able to build up in that retirement plan, Kim? Oh, uh, last time the market dropped, I lost a lot, and I'm only back up to about two hundred and forty thousand. Okay, and what was the high water mark on it? And it was probably three hundred and sixty-five. Wow, three sixty-five, and you're down at two forty. Yeah, I well, that's up. I mean, I lost a yeah. lot. Um, okay. there was two times that the market dropped and I lost a lot and never really regained. 
Yeah. So that tells me you're in a really aggressive portfolio. I mean, because you were down uh, 40%, it sounds like, um, you know, or 35. And that's quite a bit more even than the market was down. Uh, so I think it's worth looking at what you've got there. I would let it recover. I'm glad to hear that it is. It probably will retest its lows before it goes to higher ground. Uh, you know, every time we get into a recession, just looking at historical patterns, uh, we always retest our bear market lows. That would be, in this case, the lows from last October, which is probably when you saw this portfolio at the lowest point. It, in all likelihood, when we get into a recession later this year, which most economists uh, are expecting, question is how deep is it, we will probably retest those lows so you could see that go back there. So you need to be aware of that. But the idea is that if you've still got time on your side, meaning you're not ready to retire tomorrow, you're not looking to you know create an income stream from this right away, and you can let it recover, uh, I, I would go that direction, but I would be looking to get more conservative as the portfolio recovers because it sounds like you're fairly aggressive. How far out from retirement are you? About, uh, I'll be 61 in July, so I'm going to retire at 65. Okay. Yeah. So you've got four years. I mean, I would expect once the Fed's done raising rates and we see kind of how deep this uh, recession is going to be and we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel, this market will take off again and move to new highs. It always does. Um, and I would look at that point then to be getting probably more conservative over these next four years so that if we were to get into this again and the market and the economy move in cycles, then you're not going to see the dramatic swings that you saw this time. But again, we need that money to continue to grow. We need to get that back to the, you know, 450 or so when it retires or when you retire. What other income sources will you have besides this TSP and Social Security? Anything? I will have a pension, too, a small okay. pension. Okay. So, you know, let's say this grows to 450000 when it's all said and done. I would look at that at, you know, you pulling out about 18000 a year on that. If it was 400000 maybe 16000 a year, that plus Social Security plus your pension, hopefully that will do it. Otherwise, you'd need a part-time job or to consider working longer. But then you still have full access to your money. I think the key is, though, when you're, uh, you know, it's probably time to connect with an advisor to look at your current TSP mix to see when it's time to start getting more conservative. And then, of course, once you roll it to an IRA, I would have an investment advisor managing that for you so that, uh, you know, somebody's giving active oversight and management to that portfolio. But in my opinion, the annuity is not the best option at this point. Okay, because she wanted me to take the 200000 out and put it in an annuity. And then she said for the rest of it that I have – Right away, I should transfer it to the G fund, which is the safest fund for under the TSP. Which it is. That G stands for government security, so that's going to be far less volatile. The challenge is that's not going to give you the ability to see this account recover. And again, you're still four years out from retirement. And once you reach retirement, if you're in good health and the Lord tarries, you're going to need this money to last for decades. So it's it's not like you need this money next year or the year after. This is money that needs to be around for a long, long time. And pulling it out and putting it in government securities or an insurance product to kind of shore it 
it up, yes, it will protect it, but it really doesn't give you very much potential to see that recovery because your upside is limited. I'd rather allow you to benefit from the market recovery as it happens over the next year or so. And at that point, then reposition it to a more conservative posture, but keep it right where it is. That's at least my perspective. Uh, I would get an advisor to review all of this with you, Kim, and uh, we recommend the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation. You can find someone who shares your values, who's met high standards and character and competence and experience on our website, faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com. Just click the, bu- click the button that says find a CKA, and you can do a search there in Ohio. Hey, we appreciate your call today. All the best to you in the days ahead. God bless you. We've got some lines open, 800-525-7000. We'd love to hear from you today with your questions or your testimony. Again, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. If you have money in a retirement account or just a general investing account, you know the stock market can sometimes seem like a roller coaster. But it is possible to enjoy both profit and peace of mind in investing, no matter what's happening in the market. You can see a short video webinar on that topic at soundmindinvesting.org. Since 1990, SoundMind Investing has sought to offer financial wisdom for living well. Soundmindinvesting.org. As the leading advocate for the Christian financial industry, Kingdom Advisors serves the public by promoting the integration of a biblical worldview across every aspect of the financial services industry. And we serve a growing network of thousands of Christian financial professionals, equipping and empowering them to carry biblical financial wisdom to their clients, peers, and community. For more information, visit KingdomAdvisors.com. That's KingdomAdvisors.com. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today on anything financial. The number to call is 800-525-7000. That's right, we've got some lines open. The number to call is 800-525-7000. Let's head to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Lee, thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, I have a rather large amount in my savings account. Yes, sir. And I was wondering if CD rates as high as they are, if that's a good way to invest it, and since it's a safe way to invest it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually wouldn't call it investing, more like glorified saving, uh, but I understand the, the idea that you're getting. The only reason I mention that, in, investing involves risk with a corresponding opportunity for gain. There's really almost zero risk with CDs as long as you're uh, under the limit of $250,000 by institution or by account type um, with FDIC insurance. But yeah, Lee, I mean, there's a great opportunity right now. Uh, now, it's... Uh, relative in the sense that, yes, rates are up, but inflation is up dramatically. But uh, you definitely need to be taking money that's parked if you don't want to take any risk with it and trying to maximize yield in this environment so that you offset that uh, loss of purchasing power due to inflation. So uh, all that to say, I I like CDs right here. Um, I would be looking at some of the online banks with FDIC insurance because you're going to get more yield. I was just looking at a CDO 
over the weekend. Ten months, 5.05%. It was at Marcus, the Goldman Sachs retail operation, Marcus.com. But you could go to um, the website bankrate.com bankrate.com and look for CDs. You can type in the fact that you're looking for CDs. You can adjust the duration. Are you looking for something six months, 12, 18, and then it will publish a list as of today as to which institutions have the best rates uh, with FDIC insurance. So that way you could be comparing against alternatives that you might have locally. But bottom line, Lee, is I, I like CDs here a lot. Okay. Well, thank you. That's what I was thinking of doing because I want to be safe with it. But yes, sir. Um, I'm to make sure. Thank yeah, you. Very good. A- absolutely, Lee, and thank you for your call today to Elgin, Illinois. Hi, Lynn. Thank you for your patience. Go ahead. Yes. Hi. Um, I I received over. Uh, let's see. I have over ten grand in un unearned income from a settlement, and I was told I don't have to pay taxes on it. But if I put that in an I bond. Would I have to pay taxes on that? Because currently I'm on military disability and I don't um, file taxes right now. Yeah. Uh, you typically do not pay uh, in, um, taxes on a settlement, as, as you said. Uh, now, if you were to take and put that into any investment, uh, you would pay taxes on the gain, either the capital gain on the appreciation of the investment or the inco- uh, interest or dividend income or both. In the case of the I-bonds, you would only pay when you cash it in. It's a one-time thing, not an annual tax. So the interest, although it's a credit it's credited to your account every six months. You can see it added to the balance um, in terms of when you actually get it. It's only when you redeem uh, the bond, when you cash it in. At that point, they would return to you your initial investment plus uh, the interest that you received. And at that point, it would be taxable, but only on the interest itself. Perhaps to get the specifics on it, you might want to reach out to a CPA. I hope that's helpful for you, Lynn. Thanks for calling. Uh, let's head back to the phone, Peter in Ohio. Peter, thanks for your patience. Go right ahead. My question is, I'm thinking about taking some money out of uh, my 401k to pay down on my credit card. All right. You're just wondering you if that's a good, good idea? idea? Yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, Peter, but let me ask you a few questions just to get the full context. Uh, how much do you owe on credit cards today? It's about um, 9000 all right. And are you adding to that on a monthly basis? Uh, no, I'm trying to bring it down a little bit every month, but it's not coming yeah. down very fast. Uh, would you characterize yourself as living on a budget monthly here, Peter? Not really. Okay. You know, I think that's the first starting point. I mean, my my first question for anybody who's looking to quickly pay off debt, whether that's, you know, they're thinking about pulling some money out of savings or out of a 401k or borrowing some money to consolidate it. You know, the first question I always ask is what's going to prevent you from getting back in this situation in the future? So, you know, you're not calling me saying, Rob, six months down the road, guess what? Now I've got this loan against my 401k or I took a withdrawal to pay it off, but 
guess what? The credit card debt's back because so often the reason that we have the credit card debt, it's symptomatic of a consumptive lifestyle, overspending beyond our means, which credit cards can allow us to do. That's not the way we should use them. In fact, when we can't pay them off in full in a given month, uh, we should cut them up because then they just become a problem. It allows you to spend beyond your means. So I think for that reason, I'd encourage you not to, to pay it off with the 401k. Plus, you know, if you're to take it out of the 401k, if you're under 59 and a half, you're going to have a 10% penalty. If you're over 59 and a half, you're at, at the very least, it's going to be added to your taxable income. So you're going to pay some taxes on that money. Now, what about that credit card debt? My preferred option for paying down credit card debt that's north of, let's say, $4,000, that's usually kind of the sweet spot is to use my friends at christiancreditcounselors.org. It's a debt management program. The accounts would be closed. That's not factored into your credit score. But when those accounts are closed and you pay through uh, Christian Credit Counselors, you'll get lower interest rates. And the combination of those lower rates plus a fixed monthly payment is going to allow you to pay that 80% faster. But now we've still got your 401k fully intact. And you can do it in a way that allows you to build the discipline of living within your means on that balanced budget we're going to work on. That would be my much preferred approach over pulling it out of your 401k. But give me your thoughts. All right. That makes sense. You said they'll have a lower interest rate then, huh? You absolutely will. And the combination of that lower rate and that level payment is what's going to help you pay that off. I can't tell you the rate because it depends on the creditors you have. But I just had to ChristianCreditCounselors.org, schedule a, a virtual meeting or a phone call. They'll go over everything with you, look at your creditors, tell you what your new rates will be, help you put that budget together. And I think that might be the plan that allows you not only to pay this off, but to really create the disciplines that's going to be lasting into the future so you don't ever call me about credit card debt again. Next time you're calling me, you're asking about how to take your investments and, you know, position them so we can grow them even faster. And that'll be a call I'll enjoy having with you. God bless you, Peter. We appreciate your call today. Well, once again, our time went by way too fast, but tune in next time and we'll do it all over again. Before we go, I'd like to thank our incredible production team, Amy, Devin, Jim, Robert, Brandy, Rob, and Ben. Couldn't do it without them. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 